wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. But the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, and whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. In 1942, General Edward, Edward King surrendered about 75,000 troops to the Japanese army in the Philippines. These POWs suffered unimaginable horrors at the hands of the Japanese um, as their prisoners. In their worldview, it was a dishonor for anybody to surrender. And so not only did the Americans surrender and lose the war, that that campaign, but they were treated as con with contempt because they did uh, surrender. And so they were treated in unspeakable ways. Um, thousands and thousands and thousands died uh, as a result of this surrender. And um, after three years, you got down to some camps, um, just hundreds of men. Thousands died of disease and starvation and torture. Many were executed. Um, hundreds that survived endured horrendous imprisonment. Uh, one account was they had gone on march, on a, a, a march for miles and miles and miles. They hadn't had any water in two days, and they stopped them right next to a, a spring. And the water was coming out of the mountains, and they're just crystal clear, and they had to stand there at attention and and just stand there and look at that water. Well, um, one guy just couldn't take it anymore, and he, he dove into the water and started splashing on his face and started drinking, and uh, the, one of the Japanese soldiers had the sword and came up and beheaded him. And he just laid there, and that crystal clear water turned to red, and he turned around and looked at the other soldiers. He said, all right, let's go. He did it just, he was going to make him stand there and look at that water until one of them broke, and then he executed him. They went through this type of psychological torture and, and physical torture year after year after year. They would have to work in the garden and not be allowed to eat any of the food of the harvest. They, the only meat they would have is if they would catch a rat in their barracks. Otherwise, it was just rice all the time. They were just walking skeletons. Three years they endured such a thing. Um, right before they were rescued by the very first group of uh, army rangers, right before they were rescued, they had just about gone as far as they could go mentally. Um, one account said that they would just be laying in their beds at night, everybody quiet and dark, they just couldn't sleep, and somebody just shot out bacon, lettuce, and tomato. And then everybody had grown. And then somebody would say, chocolate cake and ice cream, and, you know, or whatever, the, whatever it would be. And just, they would just talk about what they would want. And they'd start saying, when I get back, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to this place and I'm going to order this meal. And one of them said, a couple of them had decided they were going to go and pitch in and all buy a grocery store. And they were going to lock themselves in that grocery store and they were going to come out so the thing was empty. And they just dreamed about 
food and talked about food. And, 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 and another guy said he, when he got back, he was going to build him a dream home. And in order to pass the time, he built that home brick by brick in his mind. And he, he sort of had a game that he would play that he, he would go through and do the actual work in his mind. So he said that it took him as long as it would have to take him to actually build a house. You know, he, he'd, he'd work eight hours putting this brick here and go room by room by room. He was picturing his dream house, what he wanted to have whenever he got back. They didn't know if they'd ever get home, but the only thing that kept them going was a hope that someone might remember them. Because they had already been abandoned once by the army. That's why they were there. The, the army gave them over to the Japanese, and their only hope was that somebody would remember and somebody would come and get them. But after days and months and years had passed, their hope began to dwindle um, before eventually they were rescued. Well, Peter is talking to a group of people who were through heavy trials. They were persecuted, um, hated by the world at large, scattered from their homes, scattered across the world, enduring heaviness and great trials. And what Peter wants them to do is to look to hope. Now, these guys didn't know if they'd ever get back or not. And a lot of things that they dreamed about, they didn't have whenever they came back, right? So, you know, all the all the, th the fanciful things that they dreamed of that helped them hang on. It was just a dream. That's all that it was. But I'm not going to give you a pipe dream tonight. I'm not telling you just imagine what might be. I'm, we're looking at what Peter has given us that is real, that is true. And it's not, I hope Jesus comes back, and if he does, I hope he remembers me. I hope that someone will come and get me. Anybody. I hope the Lord will remember me. We have much... Uh, much greater hope than, uh, than what those soldiers had. We have a sure hope of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and his return. And we have something that's better than anything that we could imagine or anything that we could want. This inheritance this incorrupt, that's incorruptible, undefiled, and fades not away. Leighton said, Peter's scope is to stir up and strengthen spiritual joy in afflicted brethren. And having set the matter before them in the first part of our text tonight, he now applies it and expressly opposes it to their distresses. In this epistle, Peter's holding two truths together. Or in our text he is. He's holding two truths together. One is the curse of living, or the, the hardship of living in a sin-cursed world. And the other truth is our future glorification in Christ. So he's holding these two truths together. They're not contradictory. Um, they, they, they might, you know, they're not contradictory truths. They're both truths. Um, but, but we need to look at these things rightly. Peter's not saying we need to take the country back. He's not saying this is going to be your best life now. Now that you believe in Jesus, you have your best life. Everything's going to turn out great for you. Or... Peter's not telling them to go out and, and turn Jerusalem back uh, politically so we can go back and, and get control and power again. There's no hope there for God's people. There, there, there's no, 
lasting hope. There's no sure hope in those type of things. So what Peter does is give us something to really hang on to. Something that's really sure. Something that's really going to happen. So he's not saying just give up in despair. He's not saying, well, this world was cursed, so let's not worry about anything in this world. No, what he's saying is, Christ has saved us. Christ has redeemed us. Christ has given us an inheritance that fadeth not away. It's reserved in heaven for you. So now, let's go in this sin-cursed world and, and glorify Christ and love our neighbors and, and be the best citizens that we can be and be the best spouses that we can be and be the best servants that we can be for the honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and for the good of all those around us. And that's what he gets into in the later chapters. But, he, but in our message tonight, he's putting our trials, our present troubles and our heaviness in the context of eternity. He doesn't say, don't despair because the Antichrist is going to get you. He doesn't say, Christ has forsaken you because life is hard. He also doesn't say, don't give up because the trials are too much and Christ isn't worth following. But what he says is trust in Christ, rest in his promises, and rejoice knowing that this is the path to glory. And so as we read this, notice that Peter is weaving back and forth between what we have in Christ and what we experience in the world. So there's a couple things to notice. First of all, there's a theme of joy in verse 6 and verse number 8. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. And then verse number 8, towards the end, with the joy unspeakable and full of glory. So there's a theme of joy here. But the, the paradox of this is that these are the scattered strangers. These are the persecuted ones. These are the ones who are going through great heaviness and trials. So, so there's sort of a paradox. He's saying rejoice even though now you have the trials. The second thing you want to notice is um, the those. We might say notice those those. In verse number 6, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness. Verse 7, the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. Verse number 8, whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. So Peter would mention a reason for joy And then comes the though, which is this to say, here's a reason for joy, but here's why we have to receive it by faith. It's sort of a, it's not a contradiction, it's just a paradox. So he's saying, yes, we rejoice, though now for a season we have to suffer. And yes, the trial of our faith is more precious than gold, though it has to be tried with fire. And yes, our faith is in our Lord Jesus Christ. But though now we don't see him, we will one day see him. 
So he weaves in and out. And what we have and what is sure with what we experience now, and that is temporary. What we have that is lasting, what we have that is temporary. What, what is in this world that is uh, hardship compared to what we have in eternity that is enduring. So he, he doesn't hide the fact from us. I went through and um, marked out all the though passages and read it, and it, you know, that, it was really nice because there was nothing negative there. We have reason to joy, and, and everything works out grand, but, but Peter is, is honest with us. He says, this is what we have in Christ. This is what we are now experiencing. And why does he do that? Because he wants us to look sort of beyond and through our trials and look above to Christ. Now Christ is not bodily with us, but we look to him by faith and know that one day we'll be with him. Now we are exposed to trials, but one day we're going to have our inheritance. Now we have to live by faith and hope in the suffering, looking for what we don't see and don't yet have, but then we will receive our inheritance. Now there is heaviness, now there is sorrow, now there is suffering, but then and there there is everlasting joy and peace. So, weaving in and out of this, um, Peter uh, instructs us on our precious trials. And that's what we'll be um, preaching on our precious trials. Because, um, first of all, he talks about the trials of our faith. And so, that's one paradox that we rejoice in those trials. What do we rejoice in? Well, verse number six tells us wherein you rejoice. So, all the stuff that came before. So what are we rejoicing in tonight? We rejoice that we're elect of God of, and we have received grace, that we've received peace, that God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy, has given us uh, the new birth. We have a living hope and a living Savior. We, have an, we rejoice in our inheritance, that it's incorruptible and undefiled. It doesn't fade away. That's reserved for us. We rejoice that we are kept by God's power through faith unto salvation. We rejoice in what Christ has done for us. We rejoice in God and and the security that we have in Christ. We are kept. We are saved. We are protected. We have received grace. We have life. We have an inheritance that can't be robbed, an an inheritance that won't be stolen or, or misused or misapplied. It's reserved there for us. We are protected by God and kept by God and, and we are saved to the uttermost. And so in that we rejoice tonight. The Christian joy, therefore, is not dependent upon our circumstances because no matter how bad your day is gone, your inheritance is reserved in heaven for you. No matter how bad you feel this evening, you are still kept by the power of God. No matter how uh, high uh, the, or how bad inflation gets, you are chosen uh, by the Father and you have received grace and peace in Christ Jesus. We can rejoice and joy in the things that we have in Christ and what we are in Christ. Now, we, Peter doesn't deny the trials. We acknowledge it. We don't ignore hardships. 
and temptations. We look to Christ, who's, uh, as Paul said, our, His grace is sufficient for us. It's enough. And so we rejoice in the trials because of what Christ has done for us. Not because we like trials, but because the Lord is with us and His grace is sufficient. So we go to Christ for joy and strength. It's real joy too. It's the only source of true joy. It's the only source of lasting joy of holy joy, of unashamed joy. And so, this cannot be taken away from us. We can always rejoice in what we have eternally in the Lord Jesus. We can rejoice in what Christ has given us. We can rejoice in these trials that they're limited. It says, though now for a season. Now, we don't rejoice in the now part, but we can rejoice in the for a season part. For God's people, we can know that it's just a season. Now, it might be this season might last us the rest of our lives upon this earth. You say, well, how can you rejoice if I've got a, a trial that will never leave me? I didn't say it would never leave you. I said it would be with you for the rest of your, your natural life. But in, reserved in heaven for us is our inheritance. And the trials of our faith are just for a season. Whenever, whenever we leave this world, our trials are, are stay here with the, the, uh, the corrupt flesh. And when we have our glorified body, the trials don't come with that glorified body. So our trials, our heaviness, our troubles, our temptations are only for a season. Now you might have a short season of a trial. It might last a day, a month, a year, a decade. It might be a season of trials. But it's just a season. We can rejoice thinking that, that one day this season of hardship will be over. We can also rejoice knowing that these are needful trials. We rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. So you can know tonight that if you are enduring, tonight if you're enduring a trial, or the next time that you do endure a trial, you can read this verse and say, this is necessary for me. Because if it didn't need to happen, then it wouldn't be happening. You, though now for a season, if need be. Peter said, is reminding us that if you're going through a trial, you have to be. Because it's necessary. That, that God has deemed it necessary for you to go through a trial. Maybe it's, maybe it's for chastisement. Maybe it's for some future benefit. Maybe it's that your faith would increase. Maybe it's just to show that your faith is real. 
One, one man said, how, how can a man know whether his meekness and calmness of spirit be real or not while he meets with no provocation, nothing that contradicts him or crosses him? How do you know if you have meekness if nobody ever crosses you? If you never have a context in which to put it into action? I know that Moses was the meekest man who ever lived. You can read, even if the scripture didn't tell us that, you could read the story of Moses and, and what he put up with and what he dealt with for all those years and say, well, that man is a meek man. That man had control over, over himself and his passions. Well, perhaps the trial is to put your faith to the test. That you can go and lay your... your head on your pillow at night and just pray, Lord, this this day's coming to an end. And I can't do anything else about this day. And I sure am glad it's over. But also I'm glad that you are with me. And that you've shown me that though my faith might be weak, I have faith. You've shown me the faith that you were working in me and how you're growing me. Perhaps that's all that is needed out of your current trial is an acknowledgement of the faith and the grace that God is working in you. And in that, it increases your faith. It increases your trust in, in the Lord. But know that and rejoice that it's necessary. The Lord is not going to put us through unnecessary hardships. Your Father loves you. He is not going to put you through unnecessary hardships just because. Would he send his son to die for you? To give you everlasting life? And then just put you through hardship and trial and suffering one after the other for no reason? No, we know know the Father better than that. The, The scriptures tell us that our Father is loving and he pities us and he is compassionate towards his children and looks upon us as he knows of our frame. So we can say, yes, these trials are needful. I don't know why. I don't know why the sickness comes. I don't know why this hardship comes. I don't know why I have to fight this temptation. But my trial is needful because I'm in it. We know that God is sovereign in our trials. Psalm 119.75 says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. We can look at these manifold temptations and the heaviness of the trials and say, I don't know why they've come, but I know that you are faithful. I know that you are good. I know your judgments are right. And I'm going to trust you. And I'll rejoice in that you are a God who is faithful. And you haven't forgotten me. And you haven't forsaken me. You've chosen me according to the foreknowledge of God. That that through the sanctification of the Spirit, and the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ, I have received grace and peace from the hand of my Father. 
that you gave me life. You've shown me mercy. You've adopted me into your family. You've given me a great inheritance. You've, uh, you keep me every day through faith and to salvation. And so I'll, I'll trust in your faithfulness. I don't know, maybe the Lord weans us off the world through suffering. Maybe it's just to draw us closer to Him. Maybe it's to soften our hearts. The Lord can take someone and put them through a trial. And you get out the other side and say, now I understand what some of these other people that I was so hard on have gone through. Now I understand what they endured. And now I'm not going to be so hard on people knowing what they have endured. Now, I won't excuse sin, but now I can come alongside and, and help people now that I've gone through it. That's what Peter is doing for us here tonight. Here's the man that said, I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you, Lord. I'll stand with you to the very end. I'll, I'll die before I let anybody touch you. And then Peter goes and falls publicly. And the Lord comes and restores him. And now what's Peter do? Peter can write, and, and we read these words from the man who has fallen and been restored, who says, I know what it's like to go through manifold temptations. I have experienced the pain of suffering and through heaviness. And I know that it's for a season because the Lord is faithful. So if you have trials and troubles, it's needful. And it's right. It's good. We don't know the reason, but we know it's right and true. Sometimes I'll watch the reruns of uh, Bob Ross, the painting guy that was on PBS. I used to like to watch him when I was a kid. And so he'd, you know, paint everything blue or whatever. And he said, oh, let's make a mountain. And he starts making a mountain. I said, oh, that's, that's pretty. And he said, Let, let's, let's put a tree here and then put a big line right down the middle of it. And I go, oh, you ruined it. <laughs> you had a nice mountain, now you just drew a line through it. And now you just ruined it. It looks terrible. And then he starts doing a little of his, his, his magic there. And he said, oh, well, I see what he's doing now. He's making a forest over here. I didn't know what he was doing. Um, and to somebody that didn't know the big picture, what he had in mind, it looked like he ruined it. It looked like he just took a mark right through the middle of it. But he had a plan. Sometimes our trials come and we say, oh, this is, my life is ruined. This is destroying my life. This is the worst thing that could possibly happen. But we don't see the big picture. We don't know the, the plan of our Father who doesn't mess up and doesn't forget about things, but every, every moment, every trial, every situation we find ourselves in is ordained of God. And it is good. Even if we don't see the goodness in it. It is ordained by God even if we don't see the outcomes or why it's good. Our trials work in us something. That's why Peter says that, that the trial of our faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. 
it, it works something in us. So yes, there's the heaviness of the trial. Heaviness. Just like uh, you've got a big weight on your back. Big, uh, a big pack, a big burden weighing you down. Put that pack on you, and what's it do? It slows you down. It it wears you out. Uh, I was reading um, that uh, in the in the, you know in the military they have the the ruck marches where they have so much weight on the back, and you have to um, go so far. I think uh, 12 miles in four hours or something like that. 12 miles in three hours. I can't remember what the what the time is, but you have that. 40 pounds, uh, at least 40 pounds on your back, and you have to make that march. That's kind of heavy. That wears you down. We pick apples, we'd have a bushel basket uh, on our front, and so you'd be up on the top of a ladder with a bushel of apples on you. 40 pounds, that's, that's heavy. It weighs on you. And it slows you down and it wears you out. Well, that's the, the heaviness of the trial. It just, it just, you just can't get away from it. It feels like it's crushing you. Cast down, overwhelmed, grieved through manifold temptations, different sizes and shapes. Sometimes one trial is enough, but oftentimes it's just one after the other, after the other, after the other. Manifold, heavy trials. But they're precious to us, they're valuable to us. It says that the trial of your faith be much more precious than gold that perisheth. Well, why? Well, one reason, um, we've got a treasure in heaven. One reason we, is that our, our treasure is waiting for us there in heaven. There's a crown for those who love the appearing of the Lord Jesus. And yes, we'll take those crowns and, and cast them at the feet of Jesus. And because all that we'll have has been given to us. But that trial of our faith is, is more precious than gold. So everybody on the news, on the commercials, you know, they want you to buy gold. Buy gold. Precious metals. The, the, the economy's going to crash. You need to, you need to have gold. I always wonder why the people who are selling the gold want to change their paper money for the gold that they have. <laughs> but, you know, they're uh, buy gold, buy gold, buy gold. Why? Because it's precious. What's the reason they say that? It's because, well, everybody likes gold. Everybody will accept gold. Um, everybody always has. They take gold in Peter's day. They'll take gold now. Uh, gold is precious. But it perishes, doesn't it? It goes away. Even that does. Even that precious metal. Peter says the trials of our faith are more precious than that. That that they're worth more to us than if we had a box full of gold. And it compares our trials to gold. You take gold and you put it in the fire and you melt it and the dross comes to the top and you get rid of that dross and then now the gold is more pure because you dig the gold out of the ground, it's got different 
things mixed in with it. Well, you melt the gold and you get all the impurities out of it. The gold resists the flame, and whenever it cools down, then you got more valuable gold because it's better than it was before it went in the flame. And every trial that we endure, though we're tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And whether that's talking about us, probably talking about the Lord, um, I think that when the Lord comes back, here are His people who've endured the trials by His grace and by the faith that He gives us. We have endured our hardships. And there's His elect. There's His people. Alive and kept. Enduring all the trials that, that we have gone through. That's the, His praise and His glory. That the trials that we go through are going to be for the glory of God. That, that Christ will be praised through all eternity. Look how I've kept them. Look how I've protected them. Look how the faith that I gave them and the grace that I gave them withstood the fire, withstood the, the, the flame. It's put to the test and shown to be the real stuff. For us personally, we can look back on our lives in, in times where the Lord has put us through the fire and we came out still clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know times I look back and say, I wish I would have handled things better. I wish I wouldn't have done this or wish I wouldn't have done that. And, and I focus on all the things that I would, I'd done wrong. But on the other hand, I could look back and say, the Lord kept me through that. Was I perfect? By no means. But here I am still trusting in Him. He hasn't forsaken me. He hasn't cast me aside. Though I failed Him. Though I went through and just barely made it. From my perspective. Just barely made it through the trial. The Lord didn't forsake me. He was with me. He has shown Himself to be faithful. He has shown Himself to be good and kind. And that no matter the circumstance, no matter the trial, He has not forsaken me. He has carried me through. He has kept me by His power through faith unto salvation. That kind of, and that, that's how I believe it would be found to the praise and honor and glory of His appearing. Because it is in the faith in Christ that we persevere and have this patience. It's faith in the one that we have not seen. Verse 8, whom having not seen, ye love, though now ye see him not. We have every reason to love Jesus for what he's done for us, for his character, for his attributes, for, for his perfections, for his holiness, for his love, because he first loved us. But you know, we haven't seen Jesus. Peter had seen Jesus. Peter heard him preach. Peter saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration in all of his glory. He saw him laid in the tomb. He saw him rose from the dead. 
Peter was there when Jesus came after Thomas denied him and showed himself. And, and Jesus said, Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Good that you've seen Thomas, but you see, you believe just because you've seen. Blessed are they who have not seen. Blessed are you tonight who have not seen and yet you love him. We imagine what it might have been like to walk with Jesus and talk with him and how wonderful that would have been to walk on the water. You ever been in a body of water, maybe out in a boat and just touched the top of the water and just thought about it. I wonder what that would have been like to get out and walk on top of that water. See a glass of water sitting on the table wonder what that would have been like to see Jesus turn water to wine. Or reach into a bag of bread and, and pull out and pull out a loaf and look and yeah, it's getting empty. You know, I wonder what that would have been like to, to pass the bread out and to see it multiply, multiply, multiply. What's that been like? Peter saw these things, but blessed are we who have not seen him with our eyes and yet love him all the same. It is the faith that we have in Him that we haven't seen. Though we see Him not, yet believing. Having faith. Knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge of what Christ has done. Assent to those promises. Believing what the Bible says, that He is the Son of God. He is God incarnate. He, he was born of a virgin. He was the sin bearer. He died uh, for sinners. But then trust that these promises are for me. The Savior that I have not seen loves me. The Savior who I have not seen died for me. The Savior who I have not seen paid for my sins. The Savior who I have not seen has given me His righteousness. So believing in Christ, we rejoice. With that Jump for joy, joy unspeakable, full of glory. Rejoicing with joy, a joyful delight, exceedingly, exceeding joy, full of glory, full of the glory of the Lord. And so we receive the end of our faith, even the salvation of our souls. So, we love Him, though we don't see Him. We believe in Him and have joy in Him, though we haven't seen Him with our eyes. We receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls, even though we have not received the end of our faith yet. The end of our faith is when we're in glory, when we have glorified bodies, when we walk the, the streets of New Jerusalem. The end of our faith, everlasting life. We have received everlasting life. We have received Christ. But we haven't received all that we have. We haven't received all that he has given us. That inheritance is not fading away, though. It's reserved in heaven. So we rejoice in what Christ has done. We rejoice in what Christ is doing. And we rejoice in what Christ has given us. Saved from sin, from wrath, from the curse of this old 
uh, sinful flesh to the hope of resurrection, everlasting life, and a glorified body. So these are indeed precious trials. So as those soldiers were laying there in that POW camp, many of those men had no faith in God. They had no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and they laid there and suffered and moaned of their life being wasted away. They were taken in the prime of life 18, 19, 20-year-old men to go across the world to fight in a war and then captive for years, losing their health years off their life, suffering in the, the prime of their life. And they think, for what? For what purpose? They had nothing to hang on to, nothing, no hope. Well, you and I here tonight, we have hope. We have something sure. We have something real to grab a hold of. We have someone real. Someone who loves us. Someone who died for us. Someone who gave us life. And to know that the sufferings of this life are only temporary. But we have everlasting life awaiting us. You and I tonight can endure these things with joy. A joy, an unspeakable joy an everlasting joy because we know that these trials are just for a season and we have the best yet to come. The best of our life is yet to come. You get older, you can't say, well, my best years are behind, not if you're in Christ. Your best years are, are only ahead. Your best years are coming because of that inheritance that we have. And so Peter tells, tells the Christians, Look up. Put your trials. Don't ignore them and not, and not say that they're not real. But just put them in the, in the context. Look at them in this perspective and rejoice in what you have in Christ Jesus. I pray the Lord helps you tonight to look to what Christ has given you and, and rejoice even in our trials.